Gunter Gleepin Glopkin Glopin. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Everybody, it is episode number 17. It is the second week of August. I am fired up. Um, let's, let's get after today. First of all, thank you for listening in and being part of fast brackets nation. I'm really excited about the feedback that we've received. Um, and I am in the planning stages to keep this rolling for the next couple of years, at least. So thank you for being a part of it. Um, like I said, I'm really excited about the interest, both in people wanting to get in and even those that are, um, trying to enhance the experience. Um, either way, I like it, and uh, I'll throw it right back at you. Um, also, I am extremely excited to announce the first live show of the Fast Brackets podcast at the U.S. Nationals. You guys and girls are making history, and it needs to be immortalized. Um, and so I am putting the final touches uh, on a great event, and I'll highlight uh, more details next week. But for now, know this. Uh, put on your calendar. It will be Thursday night after the final qualifier of both classes. We will know the latter by then, and we'll be able to discuss those in detail. And um, the live show will be awesome. And by live, I mean there will be a visual element to it. So that is that is new to the podcast scene. Um, you will get to see, if you're there, if you show up, you will get to see some of the inner workings. Um, you will also get to see Rob, who is, without question, the greatest producer of Top Sportsman and Top Dragster podcasting in history. Um, he's the greatest ever, and uh, so you'll get a glimpse of him. You guys will be able to cruise your golf carts over um, to the location um, it is an easy trip. It is less than four tenths of a mile uh, from the track, um, so that'll be great. There'll be food, there'll be drinks, there'll be some auction items. It will be a great time, and we will celebrate what all of you mean for the classes and the first event ever at the U.S. National. So if you are racing, put it on your calendar, bring your crew and your sponsors, let them feel the love, let them show that uh we're hyping this up a little bit. Let them see it. Um, if if you're not racing, if you're just within 150 miles of Indy, or if you're competing in another class, Super Gas, uh, Super Comp, um, you know, Comp Eliminator, whatever it might be, just come on, get there. It's going to be a blast. And um, the next day, it goes down. Uh, but plan on that. Mark your calendar, and I will have more details next week. But today, uh, we have a seriously fantastic episode for you today. I have two incredible guests on. The first, Aaron Glasser. He is an NHRA top sportsman and ProMod standout. Um, and then J.B. Strasweg. He is the recent winner of your World Series of ProMod, top dragster, $10,000 uh, event out there. Uh, that's the largest ever purse for Top Dragster. So I'm excited to have these two guys on today. Uh, but before we get at it, um, you know, follow us on Twitter at Fast Brackets. Follow the Fast Brackets podcast page. Blah 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 blah. Mow the yard. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Better yet, get your helmet on. Get strapped in tight because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put them in the water box and let's talk about the hot topic bump spots at the U.S. Nationals. Uh, so let's start with the long cars, the top dragster. 
Um, hey, at last count, I looked, there were 42 cars trying to make 32 car field um, with a few guys that were not currently registered yet that will likely be in attendance. So there's going to be a few more than 42. Um, and just looking at this, the registry, um, there are a dozen plus guys that can run under the index without breaking a sweat. So there will be a lot of um, hype. There'll be a, a lot of attention given to that number one spot, and rightfully so. So those guys will all be looking at that spot. Um, we don't know what the weather is going to be like, but given the list of entrants, given the amount of juice that everybody brings uh, to the starting line for that, I'm going to give you um, a guess here on what the bump is going to be for top dragster. And I'm going to say it is going to be a 622. You heard that right. The index is 610. I think the bump is going to be 622. That means there are going to be 32 cars separated by 12 hundredths of a second. Um, And likely, without question, the fastest bump spot in history. Um, At least it has the opportunity to be. Um, So that's my call, 622. What is your guess? Let me know on the Facebook or the page or the Twitter account. I am so, so curious what you guys say. Um, What say you on the top dragster side? Um, And then on the top sportsman side, I think it's a little bit different. I'm, I'm looking back here. The bump was 677 at the Indy Divisional. It was miserably hot that weekend, so I'm sure that slowed down a little bit. Uh, but they did have a good number of cars. It was a great turnout from that. Um, there are certainly some cars coming from around the nation that can run extremely quick. Um, but it's I don't expect it to be as wild as the top dragster side. Um, but there are guys that are making the pull. Um, they're going to have to um, make the adjustments in the indie weather, um, just like, um, you know, you do when you have to go to different parts of the country. Um, and so that may work or that it may take them a while. I, it appears for sure there's going to be two qualifying sessions, maybe three, maybe not. Um, so that'll play into it for sure. But here's my guess. And I'm not going to give you a specific time on that, but here's my guess. I believe that the 32-car bump spot for top sportsman is going to be quicker than the 16-car pro stock bump. So that's my call, um, and I may try to find a pro stock competitor to take that bet. Um, what do you guys think? I'm curious what you have to say. I'm, I'm calling my shot right now. I'm calling a 622 on the top dragster side. I'm calling a quicker than the pro stock bump on the top sportsman side. I would love to hear your opinions uh, on uh, why you think um, whatever you think it is, and um Guys, if you're coming um, and I ultimately make a bet um, with a pro stock competitor, I'm begging you, uh, pull out the big pulleys, throw that extra kit on, and uh, make me look good. It's going to be incredible. All right, let's put it into the beams. Um, and into the beams today is brought to you by this is bracketracing.com. In the top sportsman lane, we have today for you from Louisville, Kentucky. He is your 2002 and 2006 IHRA top sportsman division three champion. In 2013, he was your ADRL top sportsman national champion. He has won races in every major top sportsman series out there, and he is absolutely not scared of the dark night welcome to the show aaron glasser aaron how are you i'm good bud i'm good thanks for having me on yeah um hey let's start by telling everyone what you do for a living um paint body guy um been in the body shop business my whole life and uh we've got we've got three three body shops down here in Louisville, kentucky so it, it's a good business but it uh it keeps us busy I can imagine. Um, so you're painting cars all day. Um, and uh, when when did you get bit by the racing bug? Um, actually, at a very, very young age. I mean, I'm fortunate. I, I grew up in a, uh, a gearhead household. You know, my dad's always tinkered with cars, always had 
race cars and hunt rods in the backyard working for his buddies and all that. So he, he had a super gas Camaro. He street raced and then it evolved into a, he put a Chris Austin chassis works frame in it and, you know, raced all my life. So I, you know, my earliest memories just running around Ohio Valley dragway every Saturday, just hanging out the drag strips. I, I bet young, pretty, pretty young. Don't, I don't know anything, anything other than racing. Never played any other sport. Just grew up at the drag strip. Yeah. Um, and then at some point you got really serious about top sportsman racing. When, when would that, when did that really happen for you? Um, that was the early two thousands. I've, like I said, grew up in a racing household. So, you know, we did the junior dragster thing and, um, did it for a while. And then, you know, once I stepped up into the full size cars, my sister had a super comp dragster. So I drove it a couple of times and the dragsters just aren't my thing. You know I mean? They're just, I just didn't like it. So I jumped in dad's super gas Camaro only let me make some laps in it. And just, just fell in love with the door car. I don't know why I just, just have a thing for door cars. So, you know, went down that road and I, I did super gas for several years and then stepped up to top sportsman. I think 2000 was the first year I ran the, you know, started chasing points and actually getting serious about top sportsman and just fell in love with me. Just, I love fast door cars. So fast, I mean, it's the fastest door car bracket race that there is. And, but once you get into it, it's it's just like many other classes of racing. But man, the people in Top Sportsman are just awesome. I mean, the the racing's good, very competitive. But man, when you're off the track, it's just there, there's no better people out there. Just you know, does everything from the racing to the people just makes it makes it an awesome class. Could not agree more. Um, and and you you've got a couple cars that you have really you know jumped into this class with both feet. So. Tell us about the cars that you have and and that you run in Top Sportsman. Yeah, we've got we've got two cars and um, like I said, we're just eat up with door cars and <laughs> it's racing, man. Stuff gets carried away. We got the Camaro is the, the car we bought to really get pretty serious when the ADRL, PDRA, the fast Top Sportsman stuff started coming about, and, and I, I love I love it. You know, bracket racing at three nineties and four O's is just a friggin' blast. So. <laughs> We started going down that road. My other car was a before that was a it was a Camaro also, but it four eight forty four space, just big block Chevrolet Micros, and it was still a fairly quick car. But we stepped to this Camaro, and it was great. But the problem was that's going so fast, it's hard to it's hard to slow it down and bracket race it and do some other stuff with it. So the Camaro basically kind of turned into a fast car, and we bought another car, a Firebird, and that's predominantly the top sportsman car now. We top sportsman race with that one. And then the Camaro, we use it for really fast top sports and stuff or, you know, some outlaw pro mod and heads up stuff. And the, what year is the Firebird? Uh, 68 Firebird and 69 Camaro. Man after my own heart. I'm, uh, I've got a 69 Firebird and a 67 Camaro. But, uh, yeah, uh, man after my own heart right there. Um, yeah, walk us through the combos that you have in the Firebird and then the Camaro. All right, the Firebird, we've had it uh, – I've been racing for about three, four years now. It turned out to be a really good car. It's a Jerry Bickle car we got. Um, got it back to shop, and it actually took us about a year to complete because we, me and Dad, do everything. I mean, do this whole race operation together. You know, we painted the car, wired it. It it was originally a nitrous car, so I converted it to turbo, and then we bought it like that, so we converted it back to a nitrous car. Wired it, plumbed it, painted it, hung a new front end on it, did all that jazz, and like I said, been racing car for several years, and it's it's turned out to be a, a really really good really good top sportsman car for us uh we got a jerry albert or i'm sorry billy albert does all my motors he's albert racing is phenomenal nitrous guy he's helped me a lot um he built the motor for it it's a 864 534 space motor uh bruno linko set up the transmission like a pickle car and just you know couldn't ask for a better piece the camaro that's the car we run um run heads up stuff in it's got a also a, uh, an albert motor in it but run a tie drive and a link going in. So the cars are, the nice thing about the cars is they're, they're very interchangeable. They're, they're both Bickle cars. So, I mean, everything from Willie bars, everything's interchangeable. The motors, they're all five, three, four space run tie drive Linkos, Bruno Linkos in both cars. So, you know, it's nice because one, only got to carry one set of spares for stuff, but two, if, you know, if something happens, motor goes down or training goes down, we can, we can swap parts car to car and, keep everything running and you know don't don't have to miss too much racing <laughs> right yeah no that makes sense and the way i understand it 
the Firebird you primarily uh, run Top Sportsman with, but the Camaro you run in Pro Mod. Correct, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, we've we'll hit a we'll hit a Top Sportsman race every now and then. Actually, I've Top Sportsman raced the Camaro twice this year, just because we're. I'm in the middle of converting the Firebird over to fuel injection, and it took me a little bit longer than expected. So I just – I loved off Sportsman. I didn't want to miss the couple races close to us locally. We went to Indy and, like I said, went to a PDRA race with it. So, like I said, predominantly, yeah, the Firebird's a top Sportsman car. The Camaro's a pro mod. But, like I said, I – you know, I love top sportsmen, so I'm I'm not above I'm not above <laughs> taking a pro mod car to run top sportsmen. Right. Well, what and what's the speed difference between those two? I mean, in ET, is there a big difference between the two, or you just like running the Firebird and top sportsman more than uh, the Camaro? They're they're pretty close speed wise. I mean, you know, the Camaro, you know, it's a it's a 380 low 380 car. You know, in the Firebird, you know, it being a top sportsman car. We just run it how fast we need to run it, you know. So when we go PDRA racing, you know, we try and run high three nineties, low four O's with it. You know, if we go to a an NHRA one or to a uh, other top sportsman races, you know, we'll slow it down to fourteens to four twenties, just you know, just depending on how fast we need to go with it. Gotcha. Well, I saw you at the Division Three um, event in Indy, and so let's talk about your Camaro a little bit. Um, there are a lot of guys out there that theme their cars, and there are a lot of guys out there that theme their cars in superheroes and default to Batman, and rightfully so. He's the greatest superhero there is. But you went another direction. Tell us what you do and how you paint schemed the car. Well, it, the whole Two-Face thing was actually a joke. It, it just took on a life of its own. So, you know, being a paint body guy, I, I, I'm I, a painter at heart. I mean, I, I used to paint a lot of race cars. Don't do it so much anymore because of time constraints. But I painted all kinds of race cars for buddies. But I paint my cars all the time. Every couple of years, I'll strip them all the way down and throw a fresh paint on them just, just to change it up. I just, I just like I like nice paint on my stuff. So. Sure. The Camaro, like I said, I've had it for years. It was time to redo it, so I stripped the car down, repainted it, put a really nice, detailed graphic paint job on it. And, you know, when I redid it, I put new glass in it. And, I mean, high ends and the, the four-link. I mean, just totally rebuilt the car and had this thing carried out, go to the very first race, which it was a NMCA Pro Mod race, go to the very first race with it and spin the dang thing around and took the whole side out. Just The car spin around. We still don't know exactly what happened. It spun around at 180 and just smack the wall, just tore the whole side out of it. So, man, so first just, time out, after a new paint job, you put it in the wall. Yeah, put it in the wall. Man, you talk about disheartening. So, I mean, these these detailed paint jobs, like I said, that airbrush work, and I mean, it's it's hundreds of man hours just in the paint work alone. And just, yeah. man, talk about taking the winds out of your sail. It just, it, it destroyed me. But, I mean, unfortunately, after racing, it is what it is. So, we came home and, um, and David Monday race cars, he actually had a quarter panel sitting there where he bought a clip and used the other quarter panel. So I was able to find a quarter, fix the door, the front end at the time I tried to buy one and they were so far out. I was going to miss like 12, 14 weeks racing. I didn't want to miss that much racing. So I fixed the front end. It really needed a front end, but couldn't get one. So I fixed it and we was mad thrash trying to make the next race. So we get the car, we get all the body work done, you know, fix everything. Fortunately, just tore the body, but it didn't hurt the chassis fixed it off got it done took it to the body shop and primed it and we start building the car because i got two days at this point to get to the next race we primed it two days before the race so i primed it and we're up at the shop after work working on it and it's it's my dad and then a buddy of mine mike rice helps us a lot we're three up there just working on the car and i they could tell i was upset they're like man what's up like dude my car's in primer i'm a painter i'm a paint body guy and i'm going to a friggin' race in primer you know my buddy kind of being a smart enough he's like well just rattle panic and as soon as he said that, I don't know why it clicks. Like, man, let's graffiti this damn thing. So, so we finished working on it, and and next day got the got the rattle cans out and graffitied it, and took the tour the whole side up. The the passenger side was perfect on it. Like I said, the paint was brand new, but the whole driver's side was tore up. So we just taped it up down the middle of the car and rattle canned the whole side of the car and painted two face on it. And the intention was it'll be a joke, ha ha, to get me through the next race, and then I'll come home and fix it properly and paint it. And man, we got to that. The next race was Bowling Green. We got to the race, and everybody just friggin' loved it. I mean, it was, you know, blowing up on Facebook. And, I mean, we had little kids coming over, freaking out over it, and just everybody loved it. So, 
like, well, I guess we're going to keep it for a little while. That was that was last spring, so we've had that we've had it for a little over a year now. The two face theme, and people still love it. People still dig it. Yeah, so um, our our loyal listeners will know that I went through the exact same thing. I was not creative enough to uh, do something good with it. Um, I just ran it in primer, and like you said, it hurt me a little bit to do that. But uh, but you did something very very cool with it. So you've got one side the 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 passenger side is pristine like it would be. The driver's side is all graffitied up, and then on the hood you've got the two faced logo. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we got a big, uh, that's the only thing that's not paint on the car. I'm a painter, I paint everything, but, you know, we had a, a vinyl, you know, vinyl wrap deal made to put on the hood. That's just the picture of the picture of Two-Face, and, and that's it. It's, like I said, it uh, came out to be a pretty cool theme. Like I said, it gets a lot of attention. People love it, and it's it's taken on its own identity now. I love it. And then, uh, so does anybody wear the Batman gear in your pits, or how does that work? <laughs> My little boy, I've got a... Um, <laughs> I got three kids, but my my youngest boy, he's five, and he's he's eat up with Batman. So yeah, you come to the track, and he'll have Batman socks on, and Batman shirt, and Batman hat, and Batman shorts, and he's he's decked out in the Batman. But it's actually my crew shirt is kind of funny. We got uh, I got a Two Face shirt where it's it's the the printed T shirt that's printed to look like a suit, and half of it's all burnt up and ripped up, and then the other half of it's pristine. So. Yeah, we we roll with the two face thing pretty good. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, well, nicely done. Um, turning uh, what do they say? Lemons into lemonade. That is uh, that is great stuff. Um, so um, now you've got what I believe. Well, is your Firebird done at this point? You've, you've converted to fuel injection at this point, or you still have a little more to do on that? Uh, I've got. I finished. We finished all the wiring on it. We've got everything done. I was making fuel lines, and I, I was a few fittings short. So the fittings actually showed up today. So I'm hoping to go up there over the next couple of days and finish making the fuel lines for it. And hopefully, we'll have it running by the end of the week. So, like I said, probably with our schedule, the, the next top sportsman race we're going to hit right now is the the Galat PDRA race. So I'm my goal is to have it. To get it done, go out and test and go to the go to the Galat PDRA race with it. So, will you take both cars then and run Top Sportsman and Pro Nitrous in that, or what will what's the program when you go to Galat? Probably not. It's probably not because being a first race of fuel injection, I'm sure a Top Sportsman car will be a handful, so I'll probably concentrate on it. Yep. You know, we have done that in the past, but we try not to too much because the problem is it's. I mean, we're we're just a small operation. I mean, it's just me and Dad that do everything. Like I said, I've got one buddy that goes to some of the races and helps us. But you know, anybody who runs these fast door cars, and you know, they're they're a lot of work. So yeah. to try to run try to run two cars at a race, it seems like whenever I do it, I'm I'm just putting half effort in on two cars. And I, I love this stuff, and I'm very competitive. So I'd rather take one car, focus on it, and try to win rather than just take two cars and qualify and just show up. Yeah. I have no doubt that's exactly what you'll do if you put your mind to it. Um, yeah, that that's great stuff. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on, uh, talking us through your program and how you became, uh, the face of two face and, um, and, you know, just best of luck moving forward. Hey, you're going to run, um, what division three, the PDRA, what, what's all on deck for the end of this year and next year. Yeah, we uh, let's see with the two face car. We run the NMCA Pro Mod Series with it, and then we'll hit a couple heads up races around. Like I said, we're in Kentucky, so you know stuff around here. And then for the for the Firebird, we try to run several NHRA Division Three races. Uh, we try to run we run a little more than half the PDRA circuit. The stuff that's reasonable drives for us. And then same thing, we try to hit a few you know random top sportsmen or fast bracket races. You know, around here, there's a couple of tracks that have, you know, they'll have a 5,000 hour to win top sports race here or there. Right. So try and hit a few of those along the year. Well, that, yeah, good luck to you and uh, your family. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, guys, girls, that was the great Aaron Glasser. Thanks so much. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. All right, in the top dragster lane presented by thisisbracketracing.com, um, we have a five-time 
Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Series Top Dragster Event Winner. We have your 2017 Division Three Top Dragster Series Champion. Um, we have the greatest drag racer in the University of Evansville Purple Ace history, and most recently, the winner of the largest purse in the history of Top Dragster, winning 10 stacks at the World Series of Pro Mod. Welcome to the show, J.B. Strasweg. J.B., how are you? I'm great, Rex. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm great. Hey, first of all, can I borrow a few bucks? Well, sure. I've got <laughs> plenty. I brought 10,000 of them home with me from Denver. <laughs> I, I love it. Congrats. Uh, has it sunk in Thanks, that man. that is the uh, largest uh, payday in Top Dragster history? You know, it's every now and again I'll catch myself and I'll think, God, I can't believe we won that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to it's starting to kind of sink in a little bit. Yeah, at first, not really. You know, you just you go through the wind light comes on, you cheer a little bit in the car, you congratulate your opponent, and and then all of a sudden it's you know it's hectic. It's a heyday. It's pictures. It's people dumping water and beer on you and everything else. It's a, and then like everything else, at the end of the day, you got to load it all up and come home. So yeah, I had a little time to reflect on the ride, and it was uh, it was a great day. Yeah, well, we we definitely want to get into that, but uh, maybe before we do that, give us some background on your history in racing, how you got started, and you know, um, streetway marketing and uh, all, all the the action that you have around drag racing right now. Okay, um, well, I'm I'm going to be 52 in December, so I've been around for a fair number of years. <laughs> um, gosh, I guess back in the Back in the when I was a kid in the seventies, my dad boat raced. He was an unlimited outboard world champion. He'll be horrified to, that I told people that, but it, it's true. It happened, and they always worked on the boats in the in the garage at my parents' house, and I was always out there toddling around when I was a kid. Played in them in the backyard, and um, you know, as I grew up, he he kind of got me in, into more into cars than boats. He didn't definitely didn't want me doing that. And, I've tinkered around and I've always been mechanical and he and I put together a couple old street rods and then I put together a 68 Camaro and, uh, drove it around and, and uh, somehow I ended up at, I think the 87 U S nationals in, uh, in your hometown actually. Okay. And I, I was blown away. I had no idea that things like that existed. I mean, I knew about drag racing cause you know, we'd been to the local track a couple times and it was cool, but it was like, eh, whatever, you know, and then, but top fuel, pro stock, comp eliminator, all the cool categories. It's like, wow, this is a thing. People actually do this. And <laughs> these things are unbelievably fast. And we had tower passes and we, I mean, I had somebody treated us to it. I don't remember who, but nonetheless, I kind of got hooked. Um, and when I, when I came back home, um, I kind of, a mutual friend introduced me to a local fellow who who was raced in super stock for years rick Catterjohn uh had a super stocky modified car um he kind of befriended me and taught me quite a bit taught me I, I, some of the skills he taught me i still have to this day i learned how to tig weld from the guys one of the best tig welders i've ever met in my life uh and he he took me to the races and we we ran this small block heavy 69 camaro with a five-speed in it and i learned all about vehicle dynamics and how to make things run. And from there I got my own car uh, and I bracket raced for a while and we kind of progressed a little bit and decided, well, I wanted to get back into what I'd seen at the U S nationals and the quick, maybe super gas. So we tried to convert our bracket car into super gas and it had a 331 inch small block with a Doug Nash five speed. And it was the most uncompetitive car I have ever owned in my life. <laughs> Who does that? Um, so I, I, we, we bought a tube chassis car from um, Tim Diamond and Donnie Beeler. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an old uh, Don Hardy, Olds Calais. It had been one of Warren Johnson's show cars. Okay. Uh, it's it's still rolling around in the Midwest somewhere. I think it's in Iowa. Uh, anyway, we, we ran it in Supercomp with a actually with a fair degree of success with a small block and a and a Liberty automatically shifted five speed. We did okay with it, um, but the real success started coming when I bought. Um, I bought a dragster, I bought a Bolton dragster from Rick Harless. Mm. And we bracket raced that thing and ran it in super comp and had really good luck with it. And then we we kind of got into the RV business by accident. Uh, and, and I slowed my racing way, way down. But back in about 2010, we decided, you know, we've been traveling a little bit bracket racing. And I really want to get back into this 
this NHRA stuff. And, and I just super comp. I don't want to say it didn't appeal to me, but we've been using our brains to try to figure out how to go faster with these bracket cars. And this, all of a sudden Tom Dragster popped up and I thought, you know what, this is, it's an introductory class. And I think I can go to five events while they're trying to figure it out and, and grow with it. And that's exactly what we did. And we've, we've, we've never left. Yeah. Yeah. And had some serious success with that. Um, yeah. And, and you've got your hands in a few things with your marketing company and your RV company. And, um, uh, yeah, so you've got, you've got it kind of a, a lot of different ways. I mean, you really dove into this thing. Yeah, we did. The, you know, as we as we started that the the bracket racing travel traveling bracket racing and then the traveling with the NHRA and and stuff into um, the the that arena, we we developed this again by accident. Some of my best ideas have been by accident. We developed this this directuresforsale uh, and all that really became was a vehicle for me to shuttle people easily to a place where they could see pictures of a car that I may have had for sale. And it just, it, it exploded. Our, I think in our best year was like 05 or 06, we sold like 42 cars, new ones. Wow. I mean, unbelievable. Just It just got crazy quickly. And, and we, as the internet developed and people started figuring out how to use it, we kind of slowed it down. But we had a great customer base by that time that we still serve with parts, accessories, chassis tuning, shocks you know advice whatever they need some of the some of the you know companies that that help us in racing that those relationships have come from the fact that we've been selling and using their products for a very 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 long time 25 plus years now so um yeah the marketing company came about with uh that was kind of a brainchild of don and i we um don o'neill one of your i think was last week's guest um Don's uh, Don's a fantastic marketing person uh, and knows all the ins and outs, and he's taught me quite a bit. What we did is we have, you know, we're, we have the RV business. We have, we're in the, you know, we're in the bar restaurant business, and we needed a, a way to to go out and bur- purchase our own advertising. Um, so that's that's really what Streetway Marketing and Media is. Plus, it's also a vehicle for us to use it as a promotional tool for the motorsports end of it as well. So, it, uh, it it's kind of an all-encompassing thing, if you will. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and then you, with that, I mean, you've really focused in on on just driving the top dragster. And um, tell tell us tell our listeners a little bit about your combo that you, you took out to Denver this past weekend. Well, the car that I'm running now is um, it's a 2008 Undercover. Uh, it was purpose built for top dragster. It's all carbon fiber. Body panels, carbon fiber interior uh, has actually has a very little aluminum on it. Um, at any rate, I've, I've had that car since it was new. Uh, presently in it, I've got a, a four eight forty bore space, seven hundred and six inch Oakley Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, it's a it's a carbureted deal. I'm not I haven't converted myself over to fuel injection just yet, uh, but so I'm, you're I'm the one. Ever, I'm inching ever <laughs> so close to it. But this the carbureted deal is so good so predictable so dialable i just i'm thinking you know maybe it's okay to be old school for a little while longer but um we run that thing with uh typically i I ran it almost the same way out there that i run it here uh i do have i have three nitrous systems on it um two of them are on pretty well the whole way down and the third kit i use to i can just move myself around in the field kind of wherever i want because it puts a lot of et in it when i want it to right um, we run a 165 low gear. Uh, I've got a cone built aluminum converter in it. Uh, and we've, we've just, we've run that thing in that particular configuration. Now, this is our third season with it, I think. Uh, and it's, it's been really, really good. I've actually had to, you know, as you know, the index changed to 610 and I had to, um, I had to slow it down a little bit this year. Uh, but I ended up putting it back where the car's the car's really happy in the upper teens to the middle twenties. So that's that's where I run it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and then, so what what changes did you have to make to the car to run it at elevation? And I don't know what the what was the DDA, DA when you got up there. <laughs> that's funny. We we got there, you know, and I'm used to seeing. I've seen the worst air I think I've ever seen. It's 4,700 feet of DA. And we got there and I flipped the weather station on and I looked at it and I was like, the first thing I always look at is the water drains because with a nitrous motor, that tells you exactly where you're going to end up on your timing level. So I turned the weather station on and pressed the button twice and I'm like, oh, 
well, we've only got 59 grains, 60 grains. That's not too bad. <laughs> Hit the button to go back to the main screen, and I'm like, does that barometer say 2487? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? So, I mean, the DA was like 9,000 feet. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so you, you you literally have no air, and you're quickly reminded of that when you go push cars around. I can I pushed Phillips' car around and my car around in the pits, and I looked at my wife and I told her, I got to sit down. <laughs> I'm getting lightheaded. Right. I forgot. You know, it just it takes a, a minute to catch your breath out there. So it, we, um, the the main thing that I did is is you, you got to because you're automatically down a couple hundred horsepower. I think the horsepower correction factors I normally see in, in, in and around this area are as good as 101 and as bad as 109. Mm-hmm. And the best I saw out there was a 124. <laughs> wow. So you're you're automatically down 15-ish percent. Yep. So you, you, you look at that and you think, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, the first thing you figure out is that the damn thing don't want to start, uh, number one, <laughs> and doesn't want to do a burnout either. So we gave it about four degrees of base timing just right off the bat. So. The only time the motor ever really sees base timing is when it's when it's started, when it's idling, and when you're doing a burnout. Because okay. it's the second it, the second it goes on the chip and leaves, it's it's going to whatever you set it to, to go to on the first and second kit. So right. we gave it we gave it three or four degrees of base timing, uh, and I, I had to really had to loosen the converter up a couple steps so that it would it wouldn't struggle to come up and, and get to the chip, uh, which is exactly what I did. Told, pulled the converter out, popped the stator out that I run to the Midwest, and popped two steps. Different stator, lighter stator in it, put it all back together, floated it up, started it, warmed it up, decked it, and I thought, well, there we go. So the yeah. only other thing we looked at was getting a little bit of, a little bit more power into it a little quicker. Um, you know, the happy number for that thing is uh, is a middle 980, 60 foot. So okay. I tried to get the power level to where it w- would run that because the quicker you can get them moving, the, the better they're going to be down track. And as you, as, as you shut kits off going down the racetrack they they lose et quickly they just there's just nothing for them to run in out there so that uh that's that's basically what we did to it to to make it run and we were not i don't want to say i was pleasantly surprised by what it ran. i was absolutely blown away by what it ran yeah first pass i just i just took it to the eighth because i'm like i don't want to burn this thing up i watched you know i watched poor old chad green and and aaron glazer last year just go through box after box after box of piston. And I thought that's not for me. I don't want to do that. So let's go get us a timing mark and a fuel mark. And let's see where we're at on plugs. And we went, we, we took it to the eighth mile and I'm at 200 feet in the car thinking, man, this thing sounds good. It's not missing. It's moving. Get it through the eighth mile. So I got it to the eighth mile and I flirted with the idea of taking it to a thousand foot. And I thought, Nope, I stepped off of it. My wife comes over the radio and she had, they were giving the tickets out at the starting line. This was during a test day. And uh, she said, well, that was a pretty good lap. What do you think you went? I said, I don't know. Did it go 420? She said, no, you went 402. 402. <laughs> I'm like, 402 at 9,000 feet. Okay, I think we got us a race car. So Impressive. We yeah. just, just kind of worked on it a little bit more from there. I had to put a little weight in the nose because the racetrack out there is absolutely fantastic. As you know, maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, Vandermeer is the only racetrack in the country that has a climate-controlled starting line. Actually, I think it's the first eighth mile. They can keep it whatever temperature they wish to keep it. I did know that, but I had forgotten about it. So what temperature mm-hmm. do they set it at? Well, on the test day, they weren't using it. And it was a, we, we saw, as I saw as hot as 139 degrees, which you think, man, that's really hot for Colorado. But if you've ever been, the, the sun, the direct sunlight, because you're obviously a mile closer to it, is super, super, super intense. Um, you can get a sunburn really, really easily out there. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, obviously, if you have a dark or black racetrack, you're you're going to have high track temperatures. But at night, when the temperature go down, they chill this thing down ninety degrees. It was eighty eight degrees in the final when we ran. Huh. Very interesting. Well, um, yeah. let's let's talk about the race itself here in a second. But I want to know when did you decide to go Evansville to Denver is a haul. And, um, 16 hours. <laughs> so what, what, I mean, besides the cash, what possessed you to go? We were, at, we were at the Lucas oil race, uh, in, in Indianapolis, uh, July 4th weekend. Uh, and that's when Wes announced it. Yep. So Philip Oakley caught it, uh, the announcement. And we were in the trailer and he pops in and he says, Hey, uh, what do you think? Let's go. Want to go? Can we put everything in your trailer and you drive out and I'll help you drive back and 
for a fleeting second, I, I thought, well, absolutely, I'm going to do that. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> I've, I've been to that racetrack. We went to the World Series uh, two years ago. My wife and I did. We were out there for business, and our, our business deal got over with early, and we looked at each other and went, well, we got to fly out of Denver Sunday morning. Well, what are we doing? Why aren't we there? <laughs> so we left the hotel that we were at, and we drove back to Denver, and we hung out for a day, day and a half at, at the World Series, and we'd made the decision if we ever had the opportunity to go back to that racetrack and race that event, we were going to do it, no matter what they paid. Um, and it just happened to work out. The Division Three schedule is null and void, really. There is, if you, after you've left the Joliet points race, if you didn't go to the Topeka Divisional and all you really concentrate on was stuff in the Midwest, there isn't much to do until you get to the Bowling Green points race, unless you're running um, some of Keith Haney's stuff, and we haven't committed to that yet, but we're coming, we're coming for that for too long. Um, but that's really when we decided to do it. It was, uh, we were at the July 4th weekend and thought, yeah, why not? we got a great weekend off. That's a beautiful area of the country that time of year. And, uh, and a fan 10 grand, no brainer. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. So you, you make the haul out there then. And, um, obviously you, you mentioned that the car was on kill right from the get, um, was there a lucky round? I mean, the, the final we'll talk about in a second, but uh, how did you feel getting to that point? Well, you think about four rounds, and I always think about a race, <clears throat> about breaking a race down into each individual around. You know, so what what have I got to do? I look at my opponent, and I think, what have I got to do to win this round? Yep. I'd been, I'd been fighting a ridiculous reaction time problem with this car all year long. Uh, and I finally thought I had it figured out before we'd left to come to the event, but I really didn't know. Turns out I did, uh, and I was really, really good in testing and qualifying. I was 9, 6, and 3 in qualifying, and I set up 15, 20. Okay. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'm good. The next round, I, was, I missed it just a little bit, and I'm, I'm actually going to call that my lucky round. Um, I missed it. I knew I missed it. And my guy just missed it worse. He was at, he actually turned a red for me. So from there, I had a pretty good idea of where I needed to be. Yeah. And, uh, so you were really good all weekend, but you were exceptionally good in the final. You go double Oh one. Um, yeah. and that, that, and it was a great race. Um, I'll, I'll talk. It was that. a great race. Emily's a super tough competitor. I, I, I get to see their family regularly on the, on the circuit that we run. So I, I kind of knew what I was up against, but I'll tell you the truth. Uh, my wife won that race for me. Um, I had, I had been 37 missing it. I was 37 again, third round missing it again. I bumped it to a 31 and I came back and I went, okay, I'm, I'm going to set this car up. I'm, I'm going back to my, I'm going back to the number that I had in the box that kept me in the, in the O's and Phil kind of coaxed me a little, and he said, ah, is that a good idea? And she looked dead at me and said, no, you're not. <laughs> you need, you, you're going to add five more to that. Uh, no, there's no reason to set up three. Set up eight or nine. Uh, That'll win a race. So it's exactly what I did. And I rolled another foul in it coming out from underneath the tower. Looking at, I looked at the tree, and I thought, if I'm setting up seven or eight, Another fouling. If I get beat, I just get beat. Right. If I get beat by a foul, it, it's a, it was a hell of a good race, and it just it is what it is. That's so. That's so. Me and Lynn Ellison talking twenty five years ago bracket racing strategies. That's it. Just is something that's ingrained in your brain. And I rolled another foul in it, and damn if I wasn't double oh one. I let go, and I thought, oh my god, <laughs> I got all of that. And the car left, and the light was green, and I thought, this is this race is on. And by sixty feet, I looking at Emily and I really dialed a hundred to part and at 60 feet it, the picture looked like we were both double O. So I thought, okay, here yeah, we go. <laughs> right. Well, she gets, uh, she gets a lot of kudos. Um, she makes that one call. What's the percentage of breakdown she gets? Does she get nine grand of that 10? Is that, uh, for making that call? So this is, this is a, yeah, I should, right. You know, she's, <laughs> well, you know, you're, you know how this works. She's going to get all of it. <laughs> Right. Uh, that, that is fantastic. Um, well, Hey, now that your name is in the history books, uh, what's next? What's the, what's the rest of the season look like for you? We're, um, as I like to say, we're, we're back home and I've got everything unloaded and I'm, I'm in the process of wiping the Denver off the car. Uh, I got to put it back to what it takes to run competitively here. 
So we're um, we leave and we're get, we're getting ready to go on a whirlwind here. Uh, we'll leave next week for the Bowling Green Divisional, um, which takes us directly from there into uh, the U.S. Nationals, which is I I could not be more excited about that. That is it's the ever that top dragster and top sportsman have been contested at the U S nationals. And, uh, I'm, I have a chip on my shoulder. I have been in two finals at that, at that track and lost both of them just on weird runs. And I'm, I have, uh, I'm bringing the highest confidence level and the best equipment that I can muster to that race. And I'm coming for blood. So we'll see how that one goes. And then right after that, no more than, we, that one gets over with on Monday, and I think we leave Wednesday again for Earlville, Iowa, for another divisional, and that yeah. will uh, we'll get a little bit of a break after that. Um, we got uh, uh, one more divisional after that, and one more national after that, which I think are going to end up being St. Louis for the divisional, and I'm probably going to have to go to Columbus for the to pick the, that up as my last national. I'd like to go to Charlotte, but we've got another business commitment that's going to kind of take us out of the picture for that. But gotcha. I'm um, I'm sitting pretty good in uh, national points. I can't. Well, I don't think I can win. I definitely can't win the world, but I could finish in the top ten if I keep my ducks in a row and cross all my T's and dot on my eyes. And uh, I've Mike Coffin's looking good for the division, but uh, I'm not looking too bad right now. I'm uh, I got three left to claim, and I'm only a round out of second. So. Well, you're looking great, and you've got uh, the big stack to show for it as well. So, um, uh, good That's luck, right. good luck the next three weeks. I will definitely see you in Indy, and um, you know, thank you so so much for coming on and and walking us through. But uh, congrats again uh, to JB Strasweg. Uh, that was that was incredible and nicely done, my friend. Thank you very much, Rex. I appreciate being on, and I can't wait to see you guys at uh, Indianapolis here in a couple weeks. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. Hey, stop sending in fake sponsors. You know who you are. Quit it. Um, we all know that today's half-track report is brought to you by Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. Like it always is, you know by now that if you need someone you can trust, someone who is like you, a drag racer, and has the legal expertise you need, you have to go to DragRaceLawyer.com and talk to Ed. All right, um, let's get at it, and uh, we have a lot to cover today, but let's start in the north. Let's go to Brainerd, Minnesota, for the Division 5 NHRA event there and start with Top Sportsman, your number one qualifier, uh, running 646 with a 9 at 212 miles an hour, was Alan Firestone in his really pretty 16 Camaro. Um, there were 29 cars up there at the Baby Zoo, um, and the winner, he goes pole position to winner circle. Alan Firestone over Kurt Frederick. Uh, Alan is dead seven, and Kurt goes 001 red. So that's a kind of a heartbreaker for Kurt, but what an incredible weekend for Alan Firestone. Nicely done. Uh, pole position to winner for him and his crew. Um, on the top dragster side, uh, your number one qualifier was. Holden Larice from Raceland, Louisiana. Um, he goes 613 with a six at 230 miles an hour. And number two qualifier was his dad, Ross Larice. Um, he goes 614 with a five um, at 227. So I'm guessing those combos are very, very similar. And there's probably some weight um in the uh, in in the seat there, that kind of changes that just a little bit. Um, old man strength probably put him in number two there. Um, also, if you remember right, we had Earl False on from Raceland, Louisiana. So uh, nice little area there that has some incredibly fast cars. We should probably get the Larissa's on here also to talk with them. Uh, but uh, they go one and two. So what a nice job um, from the Larissa family right off the bat. And there were 36 cars there attempting to make the show. So the bump was 749. Um, so, you know, the Larissa's way out in front there. Nicely done there. And the winner, 
Um, at the end of the day, uh, Jeff Leno, he is a double five on the tree and makes it really, really tough for Bob Fuller. Um, so congrats to Jeff Leno. Uh, nicely done as the winner of Top Dragster in Brainerd, Minnesota for the Division 5 event. Um, and then as we talked about earlier, the World Series of Pro Mod event was up on Thunder Mountain at Brand- Bandemir Speedway in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the Pro Mod event was a hundred stacks to win. Um, top Sportsman and Top Dragster were ten stacks to win that. That is the largest ever purses for our class. So what an incredibly huge event there! And on the Top Sportsman side, your number one qualifier, friend of the show, Mick Snyder, with a six twenty at altitude, and Mick was dialed in in uh, in the qualifying sessions he was 001 on the tree and followed that up with a 002 so i would have put some serious money on mick um at that point and remember there were 32 cars that hauled their junk up the mountain and uh had were trying to qualify 16 positions there in the end um the winner at bandamir were some familiar faces to that area um, Greg Lair gets the win over Mike Candelario. And uh, Mike Candelario is a local top sportsman racer there, so he's very familiar with the elevation, very familiar with the track, as is Greg Lair. So Greg is your former mile-high national top sportsman winner at um, at the, on the mountain in 2018 and 2019. So he's had quite a run the last three major events there. Um, Greg leaves first and wins the double breakout final. Um, so congrats, a huge congrats to Greg Lair there. And let's let's give Greg some credit. Um, he is an absolute trip. Like he will not hesitate to let you know two things. One, he is naturally aspirated, and two, he is pulling gears. He wants no part of an automatic transmission, and I love that from him. So nice work. Um, to uh, all those competitors up the mountain on the top sportsman side. On the top dragster side, you know him. Um, we, we had him on. It's, it's a, it was a great interview. The winner was J.B. Strasweg um, over Emily Novak in the final. There were 40 cars, 40 dragsters that tried to qualify for the top 16 fields or 16 um, cars there. So quite an uh, uh, event just to qualify there and then jb wins in the final over emily novak and and it was a great not good it was a great final so jb is dialed a 629 emily is dialed a 630 keep in mind i mean this is up the mountain so those are those guys are flying at that speed both were great at the line but jb was nails 001 in the final to emily's 004 um and jb goes two under 628.8 um, and Emily went under just a little bit more so JB gets the final he brings the cash back to God's country Evansville Indiana congrats to JB and all those folks who attempted to win the big stack there all right let's uh let's let's do something here let's get you guys caught up on the NHRA national point standings right now so in top sportsman uh, you heard him here earlier in the show, um, or earlier episodes of the show. Doug Crumlich is sitting number one in top sportsman on your NHRA national point standings at 543 points. He's claimed uh, he, four national events and six divisionals. Richard Okerman is next at 488. He's also uh, claimed four and six. You just heard Alan Firestone is getting hot right now. So he's number three at 458. Um, he's claimed three and six, three nationals, six divisionals. Uh, Joe Maloff is at 448, so right right there close. Um, he's not claimed quite as few. He's only claimed two national and five divisionals. And then Doug Bracey is at 434, So five, and he's claimed five divisionals and five nationals. So from Doug Crumlish at 543 to Doug Bracey at 434, uh, pretty tight bunchings, and then your next next group is Sandy Wilkins, Bart Smith, Kirk Fredericks, Bud Priest, and Jeff Gallette. So that, those guys are all knocking on the door there. And think about this. There are 365 entrants 
in top sportsmen on the national level claiming points right now. Those are your top 10. Um, and I think it's also interesting to see who has claimed points in both in uh, divisional and national events. Um, you know, there are some guys that are out there lurking around 15 to 20 uh, in the 20 spots right there that haven't claimed that many events yet. And um, they could make a run. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they chase it and how quickly they climb the rankings. I mean, keep in mind, this is not like the NFL where let's call it 10 games in, you know, everybody is even and everybody's either six and four or eight and two or seven to three, whatever it might be. You can claim those at your own pace. So there are some guys that are not in the top five that it appears like if, if they go after it, they could claim some points late. So um, I think it's always interesting to look at the top sporting, uh, top points uh, standings right now just because it, it can move a lot. But it's, it's getting uh, to the point where people that want to make a move need to make a move. Um, all right, so on the top dragster side then, uh, we, we talked about him being the number two qualifier this last weekend right behind his son, but Ross Larice is sitting number one at 513 points in top dragster on the NHRA side. He's claimed three national and eight divisional events. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Strickland is number two at 510, so just three points behind. He's claimed three national and five divisionals. Uh, Aaron Stanfield is number three at 502. So, man, we've got a pretty packed house up there at the top. Um, and Aaron has claimed four uh, national and seven um, divisionals, or at least raced in those amount of races. Uh, Mike Coughlin is number four at 478 points. Um, he's He's – Competed in three national and five divisional events, and Rusty Baxter is number five at four fifty nine points, um, and he's claimed three and eight. So the next, so that's Ross Larice is at five thirteen. Rusty Baxter's at four fifty nine. Pretty, pretty packed in there. And then the next five, um, six to ten, is our hero Paul Nero at number six. Ed the Undertaker Open, uh, James Warden, Jeff Taylor, and then podcast certified Steve Kasner at number 10. So these guys are um, ready to roll here down the stretch. And and keep in mind, in top dragster, there have been 419 women and men who have thrown their hat in the ring for the national championship. Um, so those are your top 10. And whoever comes out on top has absolutely earned it. Um, okay, so let's go. That's the get you caught up on the NHRA side. Let's go to the PDRA point standings. So they have five of their eight events in the books for this year for top sportsman elite. There have been 33 entrants that have earned points for the elite category this year. Scott Moore is number one. He is way out in front with 1,768 points. Tim Molnar is number two at 1,289. Glenn Butcher is number three in his gorgeous Camaro. He's at 1092, and he's already missed two events. So that is incredibly impressive that he is sitting number three. Um, you know, he he could really be in there by the end of the year, um, just given the fact that uh, what he's done when he shows up. Uh, Randy Perkinson is number four at uh, 1081, and then Ken Ellison is number five. He rounds that out at 1045. So there are three events left. We will see how that all shakes out. Um, on their quick 32 side for top sportsmen, there have been 95 competitors that have claimed sport uh, points and trying to get after it. Glenn Teets, the third, sits at number one. He's got 1,988 points. Chris Nigers is number two at 1,937. And then Buddy Perkinson is uh, third at 1,545. So it uh, could be interesting. Buddy and Randy could make – um, a little run there and make that a family affair on the top dragster side. There have been 32 entrants that have tried to claim the national championship on the top dragster elite side of PDRA. Callan farmer, the first ever guest on our, our show is sits at the top um, at 1741 points. So he's, he's out a little bit on front. Then, you know, him, uh, the bender, Brian Bendar, he is uh, number two. He's been on the show, and so he's uh, 1288. Uh, William Brown the third is third, uh, appropriately, at 1235 points. Jody Stroud, number four, at 1190. And then Carmi Caruso is fifth at um, 
1,154 points. And she's already missed one event, so she could make a run as well. And keep in mind, it is 500 points for a win uh, in PDRA. So you can move up pretty quickly. You know, Carmi could get right up at the top there with a win and uh, challenge Callan Farmer. Um, on the quick 32 side, there have been 77 competitors that have claimed points. Um, at the top is Kimberly Messer, 2,232 points. Uh, Mandy Teets Seal is second at 1570. And then Stephen Boone is third at 1375. So uh, Kimberly and Mandy will duke it out on the top dragster quick 32 sides. And finally, the Midwest Pro Mod Series point standings, um, top sportsman. They're, um, they they do seven events. Uh, there are five events in. There are two events left. Um, so coming down the stretch, 35 folks have um, put it in the beams to try to win the inaugural Midwest Pro Mod Series Top Sportsman National Champion. Uh, Bob Glitty sits at top at 466 points. Earl False, you know him um, from Raceland, Louisiana, is second at 397 points. Kirk Pipke is third at 309. Mick Snyder is fourth at 230 points. And then Marlon Goats is fifth at 173. So we'll see um, how that shakes down on the top sportsman side of Midwest Pro Mod. And then their top dragster event um, as well. There have been 48 cars that are trying to be the first ever Midwest Pro Mod Series champion. Danny Nelson uh, is in the lead right now with 299 points. Second is Dan Phelps with 288. Jimmy Sokovich is third at 265 points. Steve McDermott is fourth at 248. And um, really like his guts here because he he um, put his crank in two pieces a couple weeks ago. And that, you know, there was thought that might have ended the season. He got it done. I know he's got that thing back together and sitting fourth um, going after that championship. So um, good luck to him. And then Wynette Hudgens is uh, fifth at 203. So there, um, not only are those guys sitting at the top, but there are some real familiar names uh, in top dragster that are um, trying to get in that top five and and maybe even get climbed to number one, um, like Al Peevler, Rob Moser, Phil Oakley, Kathy Fidger, etc. Um, so good luck to all those guys. And I think that's it. I think you've gotten caught up on the point series for NHRA, PDRA, and Midwest Pro Mod. Next week, we will bring you the NHRA national event in Brainerd, Minnesota, where we cover the top sportsman and top dragster, the NHRA Division I uh, event at Cecil County, NHRA Division Six event at Seattle, and then we will preview the U.S. Nationals entry list. Um, and at some point, maybe after that, we will get you caught up on all the divisional points standings. Whoa. Let's get out of the groove here for a second um, and congratulate Scott Oaksess for winning the $100,000 at the World Series of Pro Mod. Um, hey, we had Wes Buck on earlier uh, to talk about that. And by all accounts, a fantastic event. Um, but like Scott earned it, right? He earned every penny of that. Um, he beats Stevie Fast Jackson in the limbs, who is the number one uh, points leader in NHRA Pro Mod right now. But Scott climbed up that mountain and stood on top of the drag racing world in Pro Mod. So congrats to Scott Oskis for winning that and the 100 Grr. All right, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 17. Look up. There it is. There's the wind light. Producer Rob is going to play Gloria for us right now. Soak it in. And uh, there it is. I heard it. Yep, that's so good. Um, thanks to Aaron Glasser and JB Strasweg for coming on. They were both fantastic. Hey, next week... We're going to give you a heavy, heavy dose of pre-U.S. national talk, and I can't not wait. Um, hey, tell your friends about the show. Please help me get the word out. Uh, thank you for sharing and commenting on the fa Facebook page link. That really helps with the Facebook algorithm. Uh, make a comment. 
Let me know what you're thinking. I uh, encourage you to comment on uh, what we talked about today. And, uh, you know, if you listen every week and you get one laugh or you gain some info that you didn't have before or you just flat out enjoy hearing about the best classes going, just hit that like button. Let us know you're listening. And then tell your like-minded, fast bracket nation friends um, on Facebook. Hey, man, I hope you enjoyed it. Try to stay cool out there. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Another show in the books, man. Yeah, there was it was fantastic. Um, you know, JB is from God's Country, Evansville, Indiana, so he was fantastic. And then, you know, Aaron breaks out the Two Face car, and I'm a huge Batman fan. I like to call my nephews and say, "Tell all your friends about me. I'm Batman." <laughs> <laughs>